You are listening to Outside the Box, powered by The Feed. Welcome to The Feed's podcast, Outside the Box. This is John Franklin, and I also have Brandon Dykstrahouse with me. Today we're visiting with Jonathan Lee from Trainer Road. Hi, Jonathan. How's it going, guys? Great. Uh, Trainer Road is a power-based indoor training software, and Jonathan heads up marketing and public relations. Thanks for joining us today, Jonathan. I like what you guys do there at the feed. It's a pleasure for me to come on. Cool. Well, um, so a few of us here um, at the feed use Trainer Road, and um, we know that it's it's kind of a it's a much more affordable alternative to a coach, um, and which is how some of us ended up using it. Um, we just love to hear from you kind of how, how did the idea for Trainer Road come to fruition? And if you can just give us kind of the really quick summary of, of what the software can actually do for athletes. Yeah. So our intent with the software is to make cyclists faster. That's what our app, that's what our education tools, like our podcast and, and the different content we put out on our blog and in different places, all of it, the litmus test that we run by everything, that's every feature we build, that's everything that we do is doesn't make people faster. And if it makes people faster, we do it. So rather than like directly replacing coaching, because a lot of coaches actually use it uh, with their athletes to make them faster as well. Really, our goal is just to make them faster. And the way it came about was our CEO, Nate Pearson, um, He's fresh out of college and he was going to early morning CompuTrainer classes, indoor power classes. They were using CompuTrainers. And uh, there was this coach there and his name was Coach Chad. And he was running the, the, diff, the indoor studio classes and he made very good workouts. They're always the type that pushed you to the point where you felt like you couldn't go anymore, then gave you just a little bit extra on top of that and then shut it down so that you didn't go too far. And He's very good at trending your fitness and managing all the technical things like, you know, CTL, TSB, ATL, all that stuff. But he took the mystery out of all that and really just made it simple for people. Nate loved it. He was a software engineer and he thought, you know what? I can't afford $45 a class dropping in like this. I'm fresh out of college. So I bet that I could build something like this that people could use at whatever, you know, at their own convenience. And, uh, geez, uh, 10 minute breaks, lunch breaks and everything else in his car and in Starbucks up to us working out of like a co-working space. That's when I came on with the company very early on. And then now, uh, we actually, uh, we're, we're moving on up. We just got a new office space. So we're always growing and, and, and expanding and really the, the app started off just giving pairing with people's power meters putting that data on screen and then giving them structured workouts based off of their FTP or their fitness level. And that then allowed us to, to train people or to take people from wherever they were to wherever they wanted to be, uh, whatever that was, if it was preparing for a specific race or, or anything after that. And now it's much more fully featured. You know, you can pair smart trainers and get control. Uh, so the, our app will actually control the resistance of the smart trainer. So that way, when you're working out inside, you can never, uh, you have no excuse. You're always hitting your power targets. And we've got training plans that are built in for every single discipline or every time of the year as well that make it super easy to follow and a whole host of new features that are, that are coming out. So it's on PC, Mac, Android, and iOS. And for Android right now, it's in beta, um, but that's always progressing and soon enough we'll be in full production. But can find the app all over the place and people get it for $12 a month or $99 a year and they get access to everything. There's nothing else behind a paywall. So 
that's pretty much how it started. And that's in the direction that we're heading is just to keep making people faster. So I know some of our listeners will be familiar and um, some of whom will be using um, tools like Zwift, Peloton, CompuTrainer. Can you tell us a little bit about um, where Trainer Road fits into all of that and what um, differentiates the, the tool that you guys have built? Yeah, uh, it's pretty interesting right now to see the, the indoor training space uh, being expanded and kind of growing up. It's I think a lot of people train indoors for different reasons. And there are some people that are seeking entertainment, some people that are seeking a social experience, and some people that are seeking improvement. But the one thing that I've noticed is that before we always looked at trainers as a plan B for bad weather. And to be honest, they're really plan B for bad weather <laughs> because we always want to be outside. We never want to be inside, right? And in that situation, we'll always be lamenting that. And try as we might um, to, to emulate the, the outdoor experience indoors, that usually or that doesn't seem to be the best fit um, for us specifically. While others may focus on entertainment, we focus just on making you faster. And then you can bring whatever entertainment you want into it. If you want to watch Netflix, if you want to listen to music, if you want to have something like a virtual world thing going on, whatever you want to have, you can bring that in. But we want to be the tool, and we are the tool that that just focuses on making you faster. So it's a distilled experience. Uh, we really have done a put a lot of research and 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 I guess testing is the best way to say it into finding out what matters most in terms of gauging how hard people are working, uh, what data to show them in that moment so that we don't distract them with unnecessary stuff. And then what data after the workout they need to see in order to be faster. And hopefully what we can do is kind of erase the acronyms and, and all the mess of, of, of training and, and physical training and everything else and just keep it distilled and show you you are getting faster and this is what you have to do and just keep it basic. So that's the key differentiator is that we just focus on making you faster through structured interval workouts and we do that very well. That's what we're best at. So Jonathan, I'm just curious how a user or an athlete would um, customize their trainer road experience to account for weekly cross races or criterium races, how to best set that up within the app. Yeah. So you have training plans like we were talking about for those specific disciplines. So for example, if you're following the criterium plan, you can choose from different volume versions. In other words, if you don't have a lot of time to train, you can just do, or if you don't want to spend a lot of time training indoors and you want to spend more time outdoors, there's a low volume version. It's three workouts a week Then you can step up to five workouts a week or six workouts a week. It depends on which version you pick. Um, if you're going to be adapting that for racing, what we try to do is we try to plan within those training plans. We try to anticipate that. So your Saturdays in many cases are race simulations. Or in other words, they're a workout that will have you working at the, the type of intensity or the level of intensity that you would be experienced on race day or you'd be experiencing then. And we try to, to emulate the, the duration of whatever that race would be. Now, that is intentional because we want you to be able to sub that out as well. So if you have a workout prescribed that day, but you also have a race, you just follow that. You just do that race and instead of that workout, and that ends up still building the fitness, hopefully in the direction that we want, um, and that you want as well, more, more importantly. So it's pretty common with something like cyclocross to race a couple times a weekend. And even with criterium racing, it's the same thing. Uh, road racing, maybe just once a weekend, triathlon, probably just once a weekend, that type of a thing and mountain biking the same, but 
uh, it's really common. So uh, we get that question a lot too. And when people do have a question about how to alter their training plan, we have a learning center on our website and our blog that we try to put out as much content on about those type of issues. So people have guidance on how to adjust their training plan. We also try to make it straightforward with the training plans so that you can just sub out workouts with a race outside. And then if you still have questions, uh, we get, geez, last week we got 300 and something questions submitted to our podcast and we can only answer about 10 in an hour or so because we're long winded. Um, but, uh, you can submit a question to our podcast too. Uh, so, uh, that's a common way to deal with, with that situation. And we, we want you to race like that's, that's what all of us do. We're all racers here. That's the goal. We want you to be racing outside, riding outside. Like we just know that the best way to do that is through structure, structured interval workouts inside. You will get faster. So I had an experience, uh, early this summer. I used your app. I, I came across your app in April and, uh, I used it religiously April and May and I was doing the high volume. So five to six rides a week. Uh, and the end of May, I started racing quite a bit and early June, I actually had six races in 10 days and I was still, still running wow. trainer road. And needless to say, I completely bonked, um, <laughs> six race and put myself in the gutter for the next two weeks. How, what does trainer road offer in terms of, um, periodization and, uh, specifically when you know you have an A race coming up or. It, tapering. So in terms of periodization, what we have is a pretty simple way to break down your training plans. Uh, you think of your whole season that you're training for in terms of phases. We have three phases. There's your base phase, your build phase, and your specialty phase. The base phase is where we do a lot of the work to lay the foundation for everything after that. Um, there are two ways that people usually go about base training. There's the traditional low intensity and long, you know, high volume, uh, approach. And most of us honestly don't have enough time for that. You really have to be putting in 10 to 12 hours or more a week uh, to really be start to get the type of benefits that you're searching for with that type of training. And while plenty of people have that amount of time, the majority don't, it's just with jobs and everything else for us to get 12 hours in on the bike a week. Uh, if we're looking at 12 hours and that's what we have or 12 hours or less, you can get more gains, uh, specifically when we're talking about building an aerobic base and building up, uh, those muscular recruitment patterns and muscular endurance and everything else, you can get more through the sweet spot base approach. So a lot of people, they follow our sweet spot base plan. The majority do. And that just has you working at intensity that's just below threshold or right, right below or at threshold and then just slightly below. And the reason for that is because we're able to get a lot of effective work done in building your, you know, and with aerobic conditioning, but it doesn't bring the type of fatigue that, that super threshold work brings. So what we're able to do is to hit you with workouts more frequently because you're recovered and you don't have to take so long to recover after that. And it's really effective at building base. So that that's the base phase. And then the build phase, just depending on what type of race you do, it's really simple. If you're doing something like cyclocross or cross country mountain biking, that's going to have a lot of surges or even criterium racing, um, a lot of short, hard efforts, there's a short power build plan and there's a general power build and a sustained power build. So if you're a triathlete or a time trialist, or you're the type of road cyclist is looking to break away and to, to sustain that for a long time, uh, sustained power build may be best, but general is one that kind of transcends all the different categories and helps out a lot with people. 
And so that takes care of your build phase. And that's probably the toughest one. That's when you're doing a lot, uh, you got a lot of training stress and we're going to be doing a lot of work to raise your FTP. Then after that, the specialty phase is, is just all the fine tuning. And that's when the plans get very granular. So you'll have uh, a tr an Olympic distance triathlon plan and, or you'll have a cross country Olympic plan or a cross country marathon plan or criterium rolling road race, climbing road race. We have a bunch of different plans to make it specifically to prepare you for that event. And the way I like to look at it is that's when you're kind of sharpening the blade of your sword that you're making and you're really fine tuning all the details, just taking the fitness you have and you're just tailoring it specifically for the event. And within that, like you mentioned, is the preparation for the event with a taper. So all of those specialty plans have a taper built into that. And that will bring basically the way that we taper uh, most of our plans is by maintaining the intensity at a high level, but we reduce the volume. That way you don't lose any type of the capacity that you were working on, but your freshness is increasing. So uh, we do that as you near your events. And if you can time it right so that uh, all your training lines up perfectly, you'll be able to hit that event in with good form. So that's uh, how we handle tapering there. In a situation like yours, though, Brandon, where you said that you had a bunch of races that you were doing and you, you probably you just accrued too much training stress in too short of a time, which is really common for all of us. We're overly ambitious and we always think that we can sustain those things. Uh, the training plans aren't an absolute. Like, for example, the, the high volume plan uh, doesn't state that that is the highest volume that you can sustain. However, uh, in many cases, it tends to be that way for people. These plans are designed based off of all the information we've gathered from, from all of the different athletes that use it. And there are people in over 150 countries that are using this app all the time. There are more than four point, uh, more than 4 million workouts completed with the app. So it's a lot of people bringing in this data and we're able to see that, um, some people can sustain more than the high volume plan. And if that's the case, they can, they can add that on with additional workouts inside or outside or additional races. But the important thing is to always listen to your body, no matter what, and, uh, data live on the bike or your workouts that are prescribed to you, all of these things, you should always be measuring how you're responding to it and then making different changes as a result. So if you had a big week of racing coming up, I probably would have tapered off significantly before that, uh, dropped it off even more than perhaps what the plan would say, because those plans aren't really planning for six to 10 days of consecutive racing or anything like that. So you always have to listen to your body. The training plans are, are a fantastic tool to use and to start with, uh, but you always have to listen. So. Right. So I actually have one question on that is, um, what are you advising users in terms of measuring subjective and objective data? Do you have any tools that, um, that you recommend with your product? Yeah. So, you know, that's interesting. I think the measuring space is one that's, uh, one that can improve. Uh, we've got a lot of different data points and uh, we can pull out data and acronyms from any corner and view our fitness in a, in a certain way or with a certain graph. But I'm not sure that it's really, we have a very productive and distilled set of data points that can be easily understood. And rather than taking data points and bringing them together to say, your fitness is trending in a specific direction, or this is what you need to do. Uh, we just have a bunch of, it's kind of like we have a Swiss army knife and we just need one effective blade. So 
I think that space is going to be changing. I know a lot of people in terms of recovery, they'll use RestWise. Uh, RestWise is one that we've seen a lot of people use. And uh, that is an interesting tool because it brings in a lot of different data points and tries to pull out takeaways from that. So that's effective. Uh, the other, there are other tools though. You can, I, I mean, Training Peaks has their their CTL and ATL, their fitness and freshness uh, measuring tools. Uh, you have a lot of different ways to measure your freshness there. A lot of people just use resting heart rates to to measure that, and they know within a certain bounds, you know, that their their heart rate will stay within that, and that they um if it exceeds or drops below that, that something is abnormal, and they can adjust their training appropriately. Uh, but that's usually how we see people manage the the fatigue side of things. Now, on our app, we have a TSS chart, and that's how you measure the work side of things. And it's pretty straightforward. So you just it's the profile on the website, and you can see if you're following a training plan, you will see your TSS trend upward. And then during rest weeks, you will see it trend downward to give yourself a chance to catch up. And then it will trend back upward. And that's what you really want to see. We try to take care of all of those questions with the training plans, just make it straightforward. So all you have to do is just see which workout you do and follow through. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see that space uh, get more specific and more effective. So. so Jonathan, I come from the alpine ski racing world and I think there's a, a, a specific use case scenario that the trainer road would be very helpful with you know these athletes are on the road um 200 plus days a year they're traveling around the country around the world to different events and it's very challenging for athletes to monitor and measure fatigue and being uh, alpine ski racers their event typically lasts from 45 seconds to a minute 15 um but it's it's all power based and i'm wondering if there's an application with trainer road to develop a specific uh, three minute, three minute test, um, to, to help with fatigue measuring. Mm. Yeah. And that's something that there are so many different ways to uh, measure fatigue, even through active mediums, like you just said right there through, through a test and then be able to measure performance like that. I think, you know, we're, we're even getting to the point where we're, we're now, we have smart mattresses. Uh, we have so many different things that are trying to bring in data points around fatigue because we're good at measuring work, but we, we aren't that good at measuring rest, right? That's something that we've never really aimed to measure because we've always been focused on the work side. So like you said, with Alpine skiing, there are specific tests that you could do. Um, there are so many different applications, even within the cycling world, there are uh, you know, for our FTP test, for example, when you sign up with the app, you take a fitness test and then that fitness test is just an FTP test that, that gives us a benchmark of fitness and we can use that to scale all of your workouts from that point forward. You retake this test occasionally and that's all set up in training plans. So you never have to think about when to do it. It's just scheduled for you. And that's how we consistently, uh, change or update your training so that it's always fitting your needs that we have two ways that we do that. There's an eight minute test and a 20 minute test. And the eight minute test is two eight minute efforts. And then we reduce your average power for those efforts by 10%. And that's how we get it. This is a standardized protocol that you see in training and racing with a power meter, which is like the Bible for power meter usage and training with power. Uh, the other one that we have is a 20 minute test, where it's just one 20 minute interval. And we do that. But having said that there are ramp tests, there are um, critical power test. There's so many different ways to, to measure that. 
And I think that the challenge for all of us is going to be taking all the different options and finding which one works best at making people faster and which one is most realistic. And at that point, I think that we're able to be more effective. And on measuring rest, I think that we still have a long way to go to figure out, uh, or measuring fatigue, better said, I think that there's a long way to go to figure out how we can effectively measure that. Um, the hard thing with fatigue, too, to keep in mind is that there's so many variables that you have in your life that attribute to your fatigue. And many of them, we don't realize that, that they're affecting us. And as a result, we end up in a situation where we may attribute our fatigue to something incorrectly uh, because we haven't taken into consideration every variable. Um, what's, an, what's an example of that? Mm. So heart rate is a really good example that uh, using resting heart rate, a lot of people, for example, they'll uh, look at their resting heart rate values. And the first thing with that is you shouldn't make any type of assumptions off of that data until you have months. And those months of, you know, that months of data that you're, you're looking at should give you some type of an idea of a consistent baseline that you can gather from. But a lot of people will get into a situation where they'll see their heart rate, their resting heart rate when they wake, it will be abnormally high. And my personal threshold is, is 10 beats per minute high. Five to 10 beats is kind of my warning sign. And if it's over 10, that usually is a sign of either fatigue or illness for me personally. But having said that, I always have this huge asterisk or this big grain of salt that I keep right next to that data point because so many things change in my life. Um, so we, I have a newborn, uh, he's 12 weeks old and it's really stressful, of course, as most of you parents know, when you have your first child. And so we have that going on. Uh, we, this is the busiest time of year for work. My schedule becomes a regular. I'm coaching a high school, um, uh, mountain bike team. And then I do volunteer work with a, with a junior mountain bike club in the area. So I have a lot of things going on right now in my, in my life. Diet is something that if I don't control, that is going to affect my resting heart rate. If I eat an exceptionally salty meal, uh, if I am not as hydrated as I should be, if I don't get seven hours of sleep a night, which I don't know how parents do anything like that these days. So I get much less than seven hours of sleep most nights. All of these things attribute to variations in my resting heart rate data, right? So the next morning, if I wake up and I look at that, uh, my resting heart rate, but my heart rate's super high, I've had a, you know, a, a super salty meal, or maybe I'm dehydrated, or maybe I had a lot of caffeine the day before, or anything else like that, that's all going to affect that data point. And if you measure performance, uh, power is, it, compared to heart rate, power is a very objective measurement. It's uh, very, it's not subjective, it's not prone to variables, because you're just measuring output. Um, but the difficulty there when you're measuring output is a lot of people, there are mental limiters and different things that come into play that limit a person's output. And if they're in that situation where they're trying to see, well, today I was only able to put out 250 watts for this duration, whereas I should normally be able to put out 280 watts, they'll generally tie an attribution directly to something. But unless we're measuring all aspects of our life, that can be really tough for us to actually be certain that that's the case. One of the things that um, we love about Trainer Road are the guided workouts. Just curious how um, you guys incorporate guidance on nutrition and what sort of role that plays in um, in the software, if at all, and if not, if there are plans down the road. 
Yeah, so uh, you bring up a good point, the guided portion of our workouts. We have on-screen workout text. Then our coach, our head coach, Chad, he's always writing that. So, And the way that he writes that is he has a notebook. He, he works out in his basement. He has hanging beams. And he has a notebook that's stashed up there. And when he's doing the workouts that he's designing, he's taking notes about things that would make the workout more efficient. And then that's how he creates the workout text. So it's very personal stuff. But And we do actually delve into some nutritional advice then. But in most cases, it's making sure that a person is staying hydrated and then making sure or encouraging them to take in any type of recovery nutrition after a specific workout. So nutrition is... It's pretty difficult to bring on board. Power is pretty easy, or, or train the training aspect. Power, once again, it's objective. You're able to get a very clear picture of a person's fitness with this data, and you can scale it to a bunch of people uh, with just using benchmarks of fitness. However, nutrition is not the same. <laughs> it's actually really difficult. And we have a lot of people that always ask us to guide their nutrition. But what we found is that for us, at least, it's something that takes a lot more individual attention to that. There are certain principles that people can follow with their training that will always benefit them, though. Um, as far as the actual implementations or the exact things that they will use in order to fulfill those principles or objectives, that's up to them. But, uh, you know, hydration is something that when people are on an indoor trainer, a lot of the time they don't consider the amount of fluid loss that they have. When you're riding outside, in most cases, uh, all the surface area of your body is has air rushing over it, right? And when it has that air rushing over it, you are effective at evaporative cooling. However, when you're riding inside and you don't have that air rushing over you, you build up a layer of sweat across your whole body. And it's actually kind of a barrier to allowing evaporative cooling to happen if you don't have a fan going on, because otherwise what you have is just a layer of sweat or liquid on your body that is heated up to the temperature of your body and it acts as a barrier and just sits there. So a lot of, and what ends up happening is you just lose even more fluid because your body's trying to cool off and it's kind of a vicious cycle. So something that, that cures that obviously is having a very good fan and making sure that fan isn't just hitting your face, but it's hitting as much of your body as possible. But no matter what, you have to be taking in fluid. Now, the interesting thing is in most cases, our workouts are 45 minutes to 90 minutes. Most of them sit around an hour. And in that case, during an hour, you honestly, I mean, if you look at cyclocross or, or 40K time trials or anything like that, those guys don't even have water bottles because they know that if they ride for an hour, they should be fine. But if you watch them right after a race, they're taking in as much hydration as possible because they know that they just put themselves in debt for that hour. So while it may not be critical to your performance in that hour when you're training inside to make sure that you are taking in any type of hydra uh, hydration or uh, any type of nutrients through food, it will be critical to do so afterward. So in, in this case, in almost every case, we recommend that people have a bottle with them and they are drinking on the bike because it's not going to hurt you. Um, if you're trying to train and at adapt for not having a bottle, then that's just fine. Just make sure you have something right after the workout. And then in terms of, of what they actually have in that drink, that also depends on each person. So, um, and this is where nutrition gets tough and I don't envy anyone trying to getting it, trying to get into that position because it's so variable. Um, in my case, I always use, I'm a big fan of everything Alan Lim does and scratch labs uh, for my, for myself is fantastic. 
The reason for that is I lived in South America and got parasites and I've never been the same since. So my stomach is like the stomach of an infant. If I have like salt on my rice, I'll be sick, right? Now that's not true, but you get the idea. It's a really, I have a really sensitive stomach and I reject a lot of things, but their stuff tends to be simple enough and, and clean enough that it doesn't do anything bad. So if I'm doing a workout that is 60 minutes, I'll probably just have water. If I'm doing something that's 90 minutes or above, and as we're getting into the winter months, a lot of my workouts will begin to get a little longer, especially on the weekends, then I am going to be taking in uh, my favorite one is their lemon lime that they have. And I've put that in my bottles and I always mix it a little less intense. Or I, I think they recommend two scoops per bottle or something like that, or a scoop per bottle. And I go like half a scoop and that's best for my stomach. Um, so that's the type of thing that I use there. And then on the nutrition side of things, my rule usually, and this is once again, something I've figured out is 90 minutes. Uh, I go 90 minutes before I take anything in. And that's even when I'm out there doing long rides. And then once I pass that 90 minute threshold, I eat consistently throughout that workout. So I'll go 90 minutes in. And the goal with that usually is because my workouts are early in the morning and I'm, uh, I'm actually doing the training fasted. So I'm trying to achieve a specific benefit there. And then after that, I consistently take in an amount of calories I need in order to finish off the day at zero from that workout. So that way I'm not putting myself into a deficit. So, um, I guess I got a little personal and, and, and drifted from what we were no, talking about. That's a good, that's a good, um, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up cause, uh, we actually, um, we'll just let the listeners know that we have a little contest running between Jonathan and, <laughs> um, two other coaches at trainer road. Um, Chad, Coach Chad, yep, and our CEO Nate. We're the hosts of the podcast, and we are fiercely competitive. So, so we we asked <laughs> these three guys to each build a box of what they consider to be the best nutrition, hydration, recovery, etc. Um, for cyclists. And um, we're when we take this podcast live, we're also going to take these three boxes live and let the public decide, kind of. <laughs> they agree with the most. So, so Jonathan, why, why, why is your box going to win? Yeah. So, well, I don't know if it's going to win now. See, I did mine first and that was the problem. Then after that, they started throwing in Sriracha and they're asking if there were Snickers and all these other things add in. So, um, but mine, I feel like mine is the most logical choice. I feel like a politician here. So, um, but the reason behind that is because mine is laid out. I have pre uh, during your workout and post, and then the different things that you need around that. So like I mentioned with my stomach, it's always super fussy, frustratingly fussy. I have the the specific products that I use on there. I even have the Scratch Labs a foil paper that you can get in there. And the reason that I have that is because I make all of the food that I have. I usually make it on my rides. There are a few exceptions. Uh, Pro bars don't mess with my stomach. They're meal bars. Those ones I like a lot, so that's in the box. Um, I have, I think I may, uh, I may have the the Scratch Labs little uh, fruit chews. Those ones are really good too. Those ones don't mess with my stomach, um, but I try to keep it focused on real food. And in this case, I have that paper in there because if you go to the store and try to find that paper, it's near impossible. And you make these beautiful rice cakes out of the Scratch Labs cookbook. And I, I sound like I'm paid by Scratch Labs. I am not. I pay full price for all their stuff. If you guys, Alan, if you're listening, I'd like to I'd like to talk to you about that. But 
this, it makes it so easy. You make these delicious like rice cakes that they have or whatever you're going to have. Um, my favorite one, I make a chicken apple sausage, uh, little rice cakes with brown sugar on them. And it's delicious. It's like the perfect balance of sweet and savory. And you make those things. And if you don't wrap them well, they're a total mess to eat on the bike. And this paper is the biggest difference maker. I even tried to get like parchment foil paper. Um, I think we got it from like Bed Bath and Beyond or something like that uh, is where we could find what we thought was good. And it's nowhere near as good as the stuff that they have. Once I started using that, it was great. So, so the box that I have coach Jonathan's box is the best one because it's logical. And if you follow that and use that, I guarantee you that you'll see an improvement in performance. So as far as Nate's, he's going to, Nate's going to try to use tricks. Uh, they're all personal recommendations, things that we use, but I bet Nate's going to throw something in there that's tricky. So, so Jonathan, one final question for you. Um, what does the future have in store and with the innovations that are coming about and running now, with the stride power meter um, and power treadmills, do you think you'll ever uh, move over into that domain? Yeah, so as far as what's in the future for us, now that we've got our platform releases out of the way, meaning that it's on uh, Android is our latest release, so that means that we're on Mac, PC, iOS, and Android. And I know there are outliers like Windows Phone or something like that, or, or maybe like one person on a BlackBerry listening to this. If so, I'm sorry, I don't wish to offend, but... Uh, we don't, we aren't going to build for those platforms just because it's, there's no return there uh, with all the time that we would put into that. But we feel like we're widely accessible. In fact, at this point, we are the most, we have wider accessibility than any other training app. So now that that's there, we can start adding features. And as far as what those are, we, we aren't really sure quite yet, or I should say, I probably just shouldn't reveal where we're going with that. Um, but it's, we've got some exciting plans it still will be 100% focused on making you faster. That's that's what we're best at, so we'll continue doing that. The running space is something that's really interesting. Um, if you look at p how people train for running right now, it's archaic compared to how people train with cycling. It's There's not a lot of structure. There are track workouts, but even those track workouts, they're, they're not informed, uh, meaning that the the workouts that are used make logical sense from a forward-looking perspective, but it isn't being measured, and then your your progress isn't being measured, and changes aren't being made to those workouts in order to change them. It's more just like they're go-to track workouts that a lot of people do, and that's just what people do all around the world. So having power meters in running, which I'm not sure this, I think the stride stride is, is an early product and one that is good. And I'd like to see them actually have one that measures force because I feel like with the stride, it just uses accelerometers and that's getting somewhere, but without measuring force, we can't truly measure, uh, what your power output is. Right. Um, in our case, for example, when you use our app and you don't have a power meter, there's something you can use called virtual power which is awesome. And a lot of people call it like a gateway drug to power because it ends up pushing them into, or it shows them the benefits of training with power and they get a hundred percent of those benefits without having to have a power meter. And then eventually they end up getting one. Um, so the way that works is you just pair your speed sensor to trainer road, and then you tell trainer road, which trainer you're on. We have this machine that we use with every single trainer and it's, it tells us exactly how much power you would have to output in order to spin that trainer at a given speed. So that way, if we know your speed, we know what your power should be, right? There are certain variables to take into account, like the tension, the tire pressure, the pressure of the roller against your tire and other things like that. But 
as long as you keep those variables consistent, you'll have consistent power data. And we kind of view the stride in a similar light in the sense that it's not actually measuring force, it's just measuring motion. So as a result, you're going to get something that is not measuring true power. The only difference here is that virtual power, you are in when you're using it on a trainer, you're in a con controlled environment, whereas with the stride, you will not be in a controlled environment. So that's a little tough. But I know, I think it's Under Armour and Adidas or Nike have purchased companies that are putting power meters into soles. And that is when we're really going to see the, the power of, well, no pun intended there, but the benefits of, of training with power come to runners. When that happens, that whole world is going to be flipped on its head. And we have so much experience and so much data that we, that we can look at and how to help people improve when you talk about training with power. And there are a lot of principles that, that transcend cycling into other disciplines. As long as we have a very good way to measure that, we should be able to apply certain principles there. So we're really excited for running to go in that direction, um, whether it's through treadmills or running outside with a power meter. Uh, that whole space is ripe for change, and it's going to be amazing. I guarantee you we are going to see record times with marathons, half marathons. I bet we're going to see gaps close from amateurs up to professionals. There's going to be less of a gap there, I bet, because people will be more informed about their training. Uh, Ironman performances or triathlon performances, I bet we'll see the, the run uh, drop even more with people being able to measure training stress with their running. It's really going to be exciting. It's going to be really cool stuff. So, um, so that's where I see things going. And I don't know if we're, I don't know if that's still five years out to the point where we start to see power meters really enter because in cycling, it's been a long time since power meters have really entered in. I'd say about five years since six years, since they really started to reach the point of consumer availability. And I'm not even sure we're to the point of ubiquity quite yet. Um, Quark is making really big strides with putting them on OEM bikes, which is really exciting. And, uh, companies like stages have completely flipped that market on its head because they brought in a power meter that actually works and is really solid, but at a low price point, but it still hasn't reached ubiquity. So, uh, I don't know how long it's going to take the running market to adopt power or for products to pop up, but, uh, we would love to be the type of, or we'd love to be the leader there in, in, in helping people train more efficiently and get faster on the, with running too. So. Great. Well, Jonathan, I think, uh, I think that's it. We really appreciate having you on the, uh, on the podcast today. Thanks guys. I appreciate it. What's the first thing you're going to eat, um, after you're done with this? A picky bar. I actually have it right next to me. It's uh, Jesse Thomas's company. If you haven't heard of it, it's awesome. Oh, we They're, sell we sell a lot of picky bars here, and, and that's in my box, by the way. And my favorite flavor is in there. Um, well, I have two of them. Cookie Donuts is really good, but their off fudge nuts is probably my favorite. It's like dark chocolate cacao with nuts, and it's really good. So, um, so yeah, I'm gonna eat an off fudge nuts picky bar. That's next. There you go. I, I feel like you've lined up a, a few sponsorships for yourself over the course of the uh, podcast too. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead and reach out to me. You, you guys, yeah, you can contact me. That would be great. <laughs> All right, Jonathan. Thanks again. Thanks guys.